Amen. Thank you all very much. Merry Christmas. It is hard to believe that Christmas has already arrived. It seems like the, this time of year keeps flowing by faster and faster. And uh, I know that we have a room filled with children tonight who are filled with anticipation and are anxious about t- tomorrow and even tonight. Um, and I- I'm just going to say, I am too. Um, I am a big kid at heart and am very excited, absolutely love the Christmas season. This service in particular is one of my favorite t- times uh, of the year when we're able to gather together as a church family and, and just come together such as this. It's a-, a very special evening to me, I know to many of you all. And I want to thank everybody who, who's worked so hard to make all of this, uh, this possible. And I promise, if you've, if you've been around for any length of time at all, this will be a record-setting short sermon for me. And that's usually when I get a bunch of amens um, and, and praise the Lord's. But uh, again, knowing that it's a family-friendly night, but we, we want to make sure that we're focusing on the reason that we're here. We want to make much of Christ today. So let's, let's pray together. Father, as we, as we open up your word, whether brief or long, Lord, I, I pray that every word that is said it is said to, to make much of Christ. So, Lord, have your way today. May your name increase and my name decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. In the brief time that we do have together tonight, I want to draw your attention to the little bitty book of, of Ruth. Not that we're going to turn there particularly, but we've been in a series uh, for the best, better part of the last four weeks um, leading up to tonight, going through this little bitty four-chapter book of Ruth. It's, it's one small story in a much larger story of redemption, and it's the reminder that our God is a promise-keeping God. And not only in the book of Ruth do we see this, but throughout the biblical timeline, we see over and over again how God uses absolutely unimaginable circumstances and the most unlikely of people to bring forth his divine plan of redemption. But specifically in the book of Ruth, we we see God using a famine. We see him using death and tragedy. We see him using good decisions and bad decisions and even sinful decisions. We see a widowed Naomi, the most unlikely of characters, if you will. We, we see a Moabite named Ruth, a redeemer named Boaz in the little town of Bethlehem, all being used by God to make Christmas possible, to bring what we're doing today to a reality. But specifically in this, we see the sovereign hand of God, and we see that the sovereign hand of God does not stop here. Again, this is just one small story in the midst of a much larger story, which is where we pick up today. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What an amazing event this is. And of course, there are, there are details of this story that come both before these verses and after these verses. There's a whole, a whole mess of, of context that falls in here, but it's a story that is filled with, with small examples and big examples that are displaying the sovereign hand of God that makes Christmas possible, that makes Christmas a reality. Things that look like the just happen to's of life you know, minus the, the Mary being um, a virgin and having a baby. That's not just a just happened to, that's just a just God did that. But everything else that we see, a worldwide census, we have traveling to, to hometowns, labor and delivery, they're, they're all just happened to's, right? The natural course of events just unfolding throughout time. Well, they appear that way until we read the prophecy made in Micah chapter five, verse two, back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years prior to this event. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days." See, what this prophecy tells us is that God ordained for the Messiah, for Jesus, to be born in the little town of Bethlehem, the city of David, hundreds of years prior before it ever happened. But now a question. With Mary and Joseph living in the town of Nazareth, how could any of, anyone be sure that this would actually take place? How could there be any confidence that this would actually take place? Well, because God plants the idea of a worldwide census in the mind of Caesar Augustus, where the entire Roman world will be registered in their hometowns. This isn't an accident. And we know that Joseph's hometown is Bethlehem because of this little book that we just went through, the little story that we went through, how Boaz had redeemed a Moabite named Ruth in the town of Bethlehem. And they went on to have a son named Obed. And Obed then had a child named Jesse. And Jesse then fathered David, which David, King David, the David and Goliath David. And we trace that genealogy forward and we come to Christ, which is a beautiful picture of every detail working to bring forth and fulfill God's plan of redemption, a plan set forth before the foundation of the world was laid. Because if, if there's no census, Joseph and Mary, they never go to Bethlehem. And if there's no census at the exact time then Mary, that Mary was set to deliver baby Jesus, then Jesus isn't born in Bethlehem. He's born in another place, in another location, and thus the prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is never fulfilled. All of these little details being a picture, a reminder of how every detail, every event is being used and directed by God to carry out his will and his purpose. Now, one might think in, in reading all this and understanding that, that if God will work out every event in such intricate detail as we have seen throughout Ruth and throughout the Bible, 
than even a worldwide census to bring Mary and Joseph to, to Bethlehem. Surely he could have seen to it to make sure that there was going to be a room available in the inn for, for them to be. And the answer is, yes, he could have done that. God can do anything that he wills to do. And as John Piper reminds us, he, he could have been born into a wealthy family. He could have turned a stone into bread and when he was in the wilderness. He could have called down 10,000 legions of angels to his aid while he was in Gethsemane. He could have come down from the cross and saved himself at any point in time. All these things are things that he could have done. But the question isn't what could God do? It's a question we often want to ask. What, what could God have done? Could God not have done this? Could God not have done that? But the question that needs to be asked is what did God will to do? What was the will of God? And God's will was that even though Jesus was rich, he became poor for our sake. Why? To display his lavish, loving, unconditionally devoted kindness to those he came to save. So that's the same question that we need to ask ourselves. When we're going through those times and we're, we were tempted to say, well, good, couldn't God have done this and couldn't God have done that? It's the wrong question for us to be asking. We need to be asking, what is the will of God? See, Christmas is the reminder of several different things. One, it's the reminder that God keeps his promise. He keeps all of his promises. Our God is a promise-keeping God. See, people break their promises to us all the time. We ourselves are gonna break promises that we make to others. But God never breaks his promises. Never. He never, ever breaks his promise. May not make sense to us. We may have questions and may not understand, but God never breaks a promise. Two, God is a loving and kind God. We look at John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We think back again to the book of Ruth, and it's the reminder that to anyone who takes refuge under our God's wings, no matter what your past or present may look like, you will be saved. Take refuge under the God of Israel. Take refuge under the blood of Christ. Take refuge under that unconditionally devoted kindness. And number three, God is in control. Even when you, you feel like your life is out of control, and I know that there's times, and maybe this past year or the year that will come, we're gonna feel like we're, we're out of control. Life is out of control. But in those times, let's rest and secure in the knowledge of knowing that God is in control of all things. While we're looking at what the would-haves and the could-haves of our life and all those different things, we can have confidence that the will of God is being done. It is being carried out, whether we understand it or not. And it's being done for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Church, that's the meaning of Christmas that Christ came to live the life that we were supposed to live under the providential hand of God. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just a, hey, let's make this happen. From before the foundation of the world was even laid, it was God's plan to send his son to live and to send his son to die 
to pay the price for, for the sins of everyone who would believe. And if you have never called upon the name of the Lord as your Lord and Savior, tonight I invite you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. There's no greater Christmas gift that you could receive than that of Christ himself. We'd love to talk with you after this service. You can find me, one of our elders will be down front after the service. But tonight what we're gonna do, I'm gonna pray. And then we're going to do one of my favorite Christmas traditions to kind of close out our time together. We're gonna sing Silent Night. And after we do that, you're welcome to fellowship and hang out together, continue to go out and line up and, and get your pictures made as a family and have a very Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that before the foundations of the world were even laid, knowing that we would sin and rebel against you, you didn't just make a way, you made the only way for us to be made right with you by sending your son to live and to die. Lord, we thank you that you made Christmas possible. And as we go from here today, Lord, I pray that you will work in the hearts and the lives of everyone gathered here today. Let us make much of Christ. Bring the spiritually dead to life and do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.